Transforming Bodies, a judgment-free zone where Trish answers all your burning questions about aesthetics procedures. Find out what and who is the latest and greatest and gain clarity on what options are out there to leave you feeling good in your body. Hey listeners, it's Trish Hemmen here again from the Transforming Bodies podcast. And today I'm joined by Dr. Matthew Peters, who's a specialist plastic surgeon based in Brisbane at Valley Plastic Surgery. And he does lots of body contouring surgeries. We're going to talk about the different types of body contouring surgeries that they are and a little bit about fat transfer as well. So welcome, Dr. Peters. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me, especially after a busy day on the tools. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me, you're doing a lot of body contouring surgery lately, aren't you? Yes, that's pretty much all I've been doing all year. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's been a very busy year. Lots of patients um, needing lower body lifts, upper body lifts, breast rejuvenation, arms, thighs, necks, faces, everything. So it's been a very big year. So what is an upper body lift? Because like a lower body lift is a 360 circumferential body lift. What's the upper body lift? Uh, so for me, I guess it just comes down to the combinations that I talk people through because a lot of the patients, they lose weight and they don't just lose it from their tummy. They lose it from lots of different zones. Uh, and so like I've just finished a consultation where the, the story for this particular patient, for example, lots of skin excess and needing to split it up into addressing the arms, the breast, the armpit area and the back in her first procedure. And then for the second procedure, she wants to then have her lower body lift done uh, to address, obviously, the abdominal skin folds, uh, the mons area, the lateral thighs, the anterior thighs, and the buttocks. So it's just it's just nomenclature. For me, an upper body lift is a correction of all of the stuff that's been affected through massive weight loss um, for the upper body. So, yep, the, the back, the armpit, the side sort of thorax area, the breasts in the female, maybe some chest skin excess and nipple positions for the males, and then the arms if necessary as well because, for me, it all sort of interconnects. Of course, of course. And, and would, you do the, would you do any of that as a combination procedure, like, say, for example, an upper body lift in the arms or is one enough without the other or, or I guess it depends on the patient or...? It, it, it does depend on the patient and and the extent of their concerns. And that's my approach for all of the sort of um, body contouring stuff because everyone sort of wants to try and, you know, there's multiple procedures for, for some people and some people we can get away with it in one procedure, others need two, some of them need three. Um, so, yeah, normally for the upper body lift, uh, if the arms are a concern, I will do it with the breasts and the back bra lift um, if necessary. Uh, if their arms are fine, then we just focus on the breasts um, or the chest and the, and the back area. So, yeah, but essentially it, it's a 360, the upper body plus or minus arms. Okay. So, you know, when you mentioned about the bra lift, so yeah. so what's that? Because I, I know that my, myself, I've lost um, like 50 kilos, but and I haven't had that much sort of skin 
to remove but I guess as you put on weight and lose weight you do start to notice the skin flopping around and so you know when you get those rolls I don't know if you know because you're probably nice and slim but when you get those rolls at the back and you lose fat from those rolls kind of stay so that's kind of the bra lift is that right yeah yeah, yeah. so the, the bra lift essentially references where the scar is going to sit so we aim to sort of have the, the scar transition into the fold that sits at the front on the side of the breast. Uh, and then sort of extends around the back in that zone. If that's able to be hidden in a bra in women, then that's great. Um, but sometimes it's not possible depending on where all the excess is. But yeah, it, it, the procedure itself is to address all of that loose skin that's draping from the upper body and is hiding the narrowness of the waist. It's, um, it's sort of giving a bit of a, a fuller version um, to that whole zone. So we lose the hourglass frame just because we've got loose skin with rolls that just is, is obscuring the area. Um, it gets rid of all of the tissue that's in the sides of the, of the chest wall that people sort of find difficult to manage with bra straps and all that sort of stuff. And then all of that extra bulk that sort of heads up towards the base of the arm. So I take that all out with the back bra lift and then transition how far it goes around the front. If we're doing the breasts at the same time, then it, it sort of sits within the inframammary fold and I'll do a mastopexy. Sometimes if people don't need a mastopexy or a breast uh, reduction, then and, and they've got upper abdominal skin excess at the front um, between sort of the belly button and the breast or chest area. Um, then I'll extend big crescents around to the center of the chest at the front there to sort of do an upper abdominal lift as well at the same time. So, yeah, it's all that whole zone gets managed by a back bra lift depending on where the excess lies. Yeah, right. And like with that, because I know that like abdominoplasty has just come back onto Medicare, which is amazing. But mm. are there any entitlements to patients that are massive weight loss patients when it comes to other skin yeah. removal surgery? Yeah, because these these areas, the there are lipectomy item numbers to remove this tissue. So they're the non-abdominal lipectomy areas. And and they are a concern to patients. I see patients with rashes and, and chafing and all sorts of areas within the folds um, that cutting those areas out actually addresses. So, yeah, there, there are benefits that do attract, attract a Medicare rebate. Um, and then with certain levels of health cover can be applied to reduce out-of-pockets as well. Yeah, of course. And with those ones, like even though someone's lost a heap of weight, do you find that you might need to still liposuction some areas? Like I'm thinking like the underarms or, you know, like, like I've got, yeah. I've got a good, yeah. Yeah. Look, I, we, we had a recent chat at ASAPs about this in a few sessions and um, there's a bit of, you know, some people do liposuction, some people don't. I do like to do liposuction if I feel it's necessary in combination and safe as well. Um, in combination with the arms, especially, I find that there's, I place my scars for my brachioplasties in the groove between the bicep muscle and the tricep muscle. So on the inner aspect of the arm, I don't put my scar necessarily at the back of the arm, where some other techniques advise you to do so. So I'd like to liposuck the back area of the arm to deflate that and sort of tighten up that area and, and bring it all forward to hide the scar inside where the arm sits against the body. Um, so liposuction is pretty routine for me with my arms. And then when it comes to the back, 
if I'm going to do any liposuction, it tends to be in the areas that are above where I'm cutting out the back row of this stuff or below just to sort of debulk that. But um, a lot of the time in the back, the skin is just really thick and the muscles are really thick. And, uh, and what we feel is, is extra tissue or fat is actually just really thick rolls of skin. So it's not as common for me to do liposuction in the back area as it is for the arms or the thighs or for the tummy in those areas. Yep, yep. And I was wondering, like, are they like day procedures or like do you keep clients in overnight? Because I know that, uh, well, I think that the object nowadays is to get people out of hospital as quick as they can, as quick as you can. Is that right or is that just my imagination? Oh, I think it's your imagination a little. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, some people um, keep people in and some people don't. I kind of can't work out when people stay in and when they don't. Yeah, I, I tend to sort of focus on... Um, like the procedures themselves that a lot of the time they're pretty they're pretty big operations and and sometimes doing them as day surgical things um, certainly I do some things as day surgical procedures but it really comes down to how long is the operation how long is the exposure to general anesthetic how much pain relief they might require is it going to be of a level that means that they should really have a nurse keeping an eye on them to make sure that they're okay are there other things that are beneficial by staying in a hospital in terms of bed positioning and pillows and supports and people that are able to help out with doing all the other things like making a meal and, and taking a, a tray away? And there's all those little yeah. niceties that, you know, if you sort of get a procedure and then suddenly get home to two four-year-old twins who need dinner, um, yeah. you know, like there's just, bits and pieces there which can really impact on recovery so yeah procedure dependent like if it's a breast reduction or a breast lift um, or a small set of arms or a small set of thighs sometimes we'll do that um, if it's anything bigger than that I don't tend to do day case abdominoplasties I find that um, a lot of my patients are you know women that have had children and 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 want want to spend a bit of time in a hospital to to recover and, and go through it that way um yep. and then the the back bra lifts and things like that they you know, they're pretty long operations and 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 they're they're variable in their pain relief requirements and and often just keeping them in a hospital to make sure they're comfortable at least overnight is is really well accepted um, yep. by patients and and I certainly don't hear from people that they wish that they'd gone home earlier. Yeah, I mean, I'm all one for staying in hospital and I just um, sometimes people come home on the same day. I'm like, what? It just freaks me out a little bit because I agree with you, like, because you can't go home to a normal life and expect to not do anything usually because you do have the, just by being at home, I think you automatically want to do stuff probably quicker than what you should. Exactly. And that's, that's what I learned from people is that, if they find themselves back in the home environment, they have a personal, they almost just flip back to what their usual level of, you know, involvement, engagement with the family is. And and often that is something that they don't recognise is actually, you know, pushing themselves too hard until the day after. It's like going to the gym for the first time in ages and you sort of go, yeah, I'm I'm doing okay and I'm going to push this, push this, and you sort of pay for it the next day. Um, So I tend to find that, if you're in a supportive environment like a hospital and you've got 
staff there to remind you and to sort of take away some of those things that you otherwise would push your body through if you had to support young children or had to you know clean the house or prepare meals or whatever it might be um, then you know you are able to just focus on the recovery and do it in a step manner uh, versus yeah. pushing yourself through for other things yeah have, have you um ever had a patient because we had a patient come through uh, last week who who had lost a heap of weight but her stomach was still quite solid. Like it's almost like she didn't lose any weight in the stomach. So she was after a tummy tuck, but her stomach was quite solid, if that makes yeah. sense. So she would, you know, she'd, she was looking at the a back lift and a lower body lift, but she wasn't sure about the, the stomach because the doctor had said that it might've been a bit too hard. This is just on a Zoom consult. That might've been a bit too hard to do the stomach. Is that a thing or, or can you, because I guess you can liposuction a bit or can you remove fat with a you know because i know you can remove fat with the liposuction but can you remove fat when you're having the surgery you, you can but like everyone has different body shapes as you know yeah. and um and sometimes that sort of uh fullness in the abdominal area is a genetic thing um or a hormonal thing um you see that pattern occasionally in postmenopause. um see that pattern in in some people that have underlying like big chest walls and all sorts of things like that um there's there's obviously the need to assess what the problem is and think about just the mechanics of of the procedure and is it is it like fat that's just sitting on top of the muscles is it potentially uh, fat that's around the organs is it potentially a really large liver um, is it that sort of thing there where you know there's there's things that we can do we can take away the skin but perhaps we can't or we know we can't actually take away the fat that's deep around the organs and the liver and stuff like that so sometimes patients do come along thinking that we can make everything really flat and neat and all of that but there are limitations to to what we can do in that picture and and it's often a, a gentle sort of just a, a redirection to sort of um, you know get them to revisit diet exercise uh, speak with GP bariatric surgeon think about further weight loss or um, scans to look at size of livers and other things that may be contributing to that mm -hmm. arrangement Mm -hmm. um, that's all taking into account proper assessment where you're looking at muscles and, you know, is there significant muscle separation and everything's sort of pushing forward and, and is it just that that needs to be repaired? So, yeah, to have the patient that just has a, a really tight abdomen potentially with some, some extra sort of weight around their organs, do see that and, and refer them on to try and address the weight so that we can collectively get the result that they want and and it can be something where they lose three four five kilos and it's enough to sort of deflate yeah. that inner area and then allow mm -hmm. us to actually cut the skin and repair muscles and get that physique that they're actually wanting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say for example if if someone's lost a whole heap of weight and and they want to do the whole lot and they're going to do it in, in stages but say we'll use um a lower body lift as an example like that can like I know that those procedures take a lot of hours, but I was going to ask you, what's the longest that you would actually do an operation on someone for, or what has been the longest? Uh, I've done some really long operations, um, which have been mainly big cancer reconstructions in the past. Uh, with this sort of stuff, where it's 
you know, I'm talking about previous times where during my training and, and afterwards where we would cut out cancers from the head and neck area and then have to reconstruct someone's whole jaw and, and you've got to put it all back together. Otherwise, they can't swallow or there's an infection risk and the like. So some of those operations can take 12, 14, 18 hours. Wow. Um, but, but, the you know, the reason for putting a patient for that is a bit like through that and the risk attached to that with blood clots and pressure areas and all sorts of things that's it's sort of taken into account versus a cancer or infection issues in this stuff it's it's all really elective and we've got to think about the safety profile we've got to think about the post-operative recovery how things might compete against each other when it comes to wounds in certain directions we need to think about the wound load in terms of ability to heal and matching that with nutrition requirements or nutritional deficits with some of the bariatric procedures just need extra supplementation for. There's all these things to take into account. When I'm looking at how long someone can have, how much operating time someone can tolerate, mm -hmm. it's, it's a collective decision about how big is the patient, how many areas are there, how many of them will compete against each other in terms of, as I said, wound tension, what's the patient's um, sort of appetite for having a procedure as, as many done in one versus uh, splitting them up. Uh, I meet lots of people who are self-employed, own businesses, have children, need to think about how they try and put a few combinations together to limit how many operations they may have in one year, two year, multiple recovery periods. So those things are considered, but ultimately, yeah, if we're looking at combinations that just start to get up to the six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half hour type category, um, you know, I'd sort of start to get a little bit into the into the ballpark of wanting to split things up a bit. Yeah, yep. So so it's not all done in one session, maybe if it's too long. Because I would I would think I I just presume that if someone has lost a lot of weight, um, and say if they've had bariatric surgery, they're obviously not getting as much nutrition as someone who who perhaps didn't have a gastric sleeve or something like that. So they would take longer to to heal and recover. I would imagine. They, look, they can, um, but it's part of the original assessment and talking to them about where their nutrition's at. If they've had bariatric surgery, are the bariatric team happy with their nutritional status? And a lot of the bariatric surgeons I work with, uh, they've got in-house dietitians, they've got all of these extra psychology support areas to make sure that the weight loss is stable and it's healthy and the patient can tolerate an operation where they they are going to be putting their body through stress and their body is going to need to have the resources and, and, and you know, take the resources like extra protein and vitamins and things to actually yep. heal. Yep. So, yeah, they, they are big things to factor in. And you do see differences, you know, people that have lost weight through diet and exercise, people that have lost it through some of the medications that are available now, some of the people that have lost it through a gastric sleeve versus a gastric bypass and, and the different procedures essentially can affect iron supplementation requirements. They can affect protein supplementation requirements. And, and that can be enough to sway me into saying to someone, hey, I think mm. given you've had a bypass procedure and we've got some protein absorption issues, let's split this up. Let's 
give your body a chance to recover from smaller bites compared to bigger bites um, and, and sort of try to move things through in that way. So it's just done safely and they heal and it's not a negative experience. Yep. No, I totally hear that because, and, and it, it's so true. It depends. There's no cookie cutter approach. Hey, it's, it depends on the actual no, totally. individual patient. Yeah. 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 So if someone asks that question, it's like, hey, you need to speak to your plastic surgeon and actually have that conversation with them once they've done, um, you know, a consultation and had a look at you and worked out. Yeah. You know, everything it's really, you. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it is an interesting thing that comes up sometimes where I recently had a patient who, who sort of said, oh, I've been reading on, online that there's this lady that says that you're going to do a double circumferential and arms, and yet with me, you just want to focus on the, on the breast and the tummy, but I want to get my arms and my back done as well, and, and what's the difference? Um, and, and it was about the size, like the person that could have everything done had really small areas of skin excess. It was just that they were in multiple zones. And so her operating time was going to be four and a half, five hours for all of those areas. And she'd done it through diet and exercise and all that sort of stuff. So it didn't have as much protein deficit issue to think about. Um, and so very different picture compared to the patient in front of me who just had a bigger amount of skin to remove and, and was taller and and was broader in their shoulders and just wound lengths and everything were different. So it really is a consultation and a personalised approach to just see what is safe. Yeah, of course, of course. And say, for example, if if um, if someone was having like multiple, sorry, if someone's having the one procedure, do you find that it's very often that that turns into a two-step procedure like like what I mean is a, a classic example is um, one of the ladies in our forum she'd had a, a breast reduction but she, her, her boobs were like absolutely massive but they were full like they were really full they weren't just loose skin they just had never you know as she put on weight they just got bigger and she'd lost weight but she never lost any weight and her boobs they were like solid and she was in her mid-50s but she had a, a breast reduction and then um it, I don't know if it was didn't go far but it needed to be a two-step procedure because there was all these little um dog here dog ears I think hanging off the side I, I think that's what they call them um like yeah, so I mean, she had to go bit this I guess she wouldn't because if someone's lying down you're not really going to know what they're like when they sit up in well, a way I guess or well, we, we do when we're trying to work out what someone needs, sort of factor in what, as things fold together, how long the scars might be. And, and it's, you, it's pretty normal to be able to say to someone while they're standing there and you're examining them and you've got a mirror, you can sort of point out this is, this is where I'll be making my, like I'll put my drawing here. I would expect that the length of the scar is going to be to here so that they've got an impression of how things are going to turn out because you know some if the general public they don't they might know what we do and they might think that they have an, an idea of what what applies to them and, and it can be very different to the reality of it and you see that with tummy tucks pretty frequently where people will think that it's just going to be this little low scar just in the front hip to hip and and quite frequently to get the contour that they need we we have to go up into the to the sides and sometimes a little bit further around into the back. And so you've got, you, you have to point the length of the incision out. And, and that's, that's the same with the breasts and, and with a breast reduction, examining the sides and seeing where their crease is and highlighting to them how far around. And sometimes if it is really going to be far around, that's where 
you might need a position change. You might need to operate on the back and then turn them over to the tummy to finish or split it up into two procedures and see if we're able to get away with, with less than more in terms of the length of the scar into the back. Some people do, yeah. do sort of heal well despite there being a bit of a fullness left behind. So, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's usually a good assessment at the start, a decision that's made about how far things are, you know, will go. Sometimes, especially with the breast, you have to tell people that to address it properly, they do need their back operated on with a back bra lift, for example, or yeah. little thoracoplasty extensions. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't want to do that. Sometimes they say, oh, I really like my back. And if I don't need to, then limit the scar to the side. And if there's a bit of excess there that I can hide in the bra, Right. So there's there's that sort of negotiation. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's it's funny. I always liken it to it's it's like being a dressmaker, but where you're using the skin instead of the instead of like fabric, you know, the the skin is the patient's fabric and you kind of like you know, fix it all up so that it just looks neat. Yeah. It's um Oh, that's where I actually started, which not well, some people know. But anyway, yeah. I started in clothing years ago during med school. So it's sort of like oh, really? it, it is an extension of that. Yeah. 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 Can you sew? Do you know how to sew? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to sew. Oh, I always get really impressed when when doctors can do those um those, you know, when you when you do the stitches and you do the knots, it's like, wow, that's like a that's like real dressmaking skills. Yeah, that's cool. And it is, it's very similar stuff, to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah right. So, yeah. you know, you mentioned before about um, when people lose weight, the fact that sometimes, you know, the neck is, is um, you know, the neck can get really saggy. So, so what do you do for that? Uh, a neck lift. And it just depends on like what, where the concern is. And so the, the standard neck lift um, where we make incisions just underneath the chin and you tighten up muscle or debulk fat um, and then sort of make incisions around the ear and into the back of the hairline sort of area behind the ear mm-hmm. and then resuspend the skin, resuspend the muscles. There's different things there. Sometimes we tighten up the lower part of the face as well to sort of shift the jowl position up. Mm-hmm. There's things like that. Sometimes it's a facelift and a neck lift. Otherwise, it can look a little bit uh, disproportionate. So, yeah, there are things there that can be quite extensive. The occasional patient that I see uh, when I explain to them what's involved in that space will want something that's less invasive and, and doing just a local skin resection underneath the chin in the neck area there, um, especially if some of the males prefer that because they'll, they'll grow, they usually wear a beard. And, uh, and so I'm able to just cut that skin away and then stitch it up without giving them scars around the ears and into the back of the hairline. Um, so that's another way that it can be done that's a little bit less involved, a little bit simpler um, and sort of limits the scars to the front, which, again, with males can be helpful when they grow a beard. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they've, they've always got it better than us, the guys. It's always much easier for them. Oh, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> a facelift in men, sometimes just with where the scars sit behind the ears, they sort of have to modify their haircuts a little bit. Um, and it changes where, when you do a facelift, it can just change where the hair sort of, where the beard line and the ears sort of sits. And there are some changes which, for me, like walking along the street, I can tell if someone's had something done. Um, the general public, probably not as much because they don't, they don't, see facelifts all the time but the of men course. 
Yeah, I feel women get away really pretty well with facelifts and neck lifts compared to some men. Yeah, because they can have their hair longer. Yeah, and and all that sort of stuff. So there's just some differences there. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you as well, moving straight from the neck down to the thighs, you know, with the thigh thigh lift, because I know that that's becoming really popular. I have people asking about it all the time. Um, Is there, because there's a couple of different, ways to do the thighs isn't there because there's some people that actually do um like where there's a t cut where they yep. cut down the thigh and into the groin area as well so it ends up like a t yeah and and then there's the one where you just do the, the just the long line down the thigh and just remove skin in there is is that like is that just the only two procedures for the thigh or is there something different or when would you choose one over the other um so the majority of people that go through massive weight loss, um, there's a there's a fat pad that sits on the inner aspect of the upper thigh, which is really stubborn. It's like a, a it's a it's a the last sort of storage area that just wants to stay. And there's a lot of skin that then drapes in that area. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's an assessment of where is the skin excess? Can you cut it out as a vertical sort of thigh lift, which is just the straight line running from the inner groin down to the knee? Mm-hmm. Um, or is there going to be excess that's sitting sort of behind those areas or in front of those areas where the T-junction thigh lift becomes beneficial? Um, it's one of those things where if I can do the vertical, I prefer to do the vertical. I do mine with a lot of liposuction as well. So I tend to find that by doing liposuction of the area that I'm going to be taking skin away so that we preserve lymphatics and reduce the risk of lymphedema and swelling of the ankle um, mm-hmm. and do lipo there, but also liposuck the anterior thigh and, and liposuck that area that's the inner posterior upper thigh that might rub together after this sort of stuff. Yep. Um, then, then getting away with the vertical with the lipo can be really good and avoid the T-junction. T-junctions in thighs, the wound itself can be a bit troublesome it can break down it can separate the scar that is the upper groin scar it will usually come out of the groin crease even though we set it in there just gravity and the way that we sit and stretch skin in that area it can come a couple of centimeters out and down Mm -hmm. the thigh so the lift component of the t-junction sometimes sort of we lose the lift component with time so the benefit there of doing the t-junction sometimes doesn't doesn't fly um it's it's one of those things again if you're doing combination procedures and you're looking to do a lower body lift with a thigh lift it's it's pretty safe to do the vertical thigh with the belt Mm -hmm. versus doing the t-junction and the scars being quite close to each other they can just pull in different directions and sometimes um sort of run into some wound healing problems as a result so that can be something where we try with patients to you know sort of say hey let's see if we get away with the vertical with the lipo and if it's not enough then we can add a crescent resection at the top of the groin to try and take away any extra skin or otherwise that's rubbing Mm -hmm. so there's things like that that sometimes are a plus or minus that that go from being just a vertical or just a T to being a vertical that then turns into a T as the months go on. Yep, yep. Um, there's some, some people do like a, a boomerang type style that's like an L shape uh, that pulls the anterior skin and bulk backwards in like a, okay. a, so there's a groin crease that goes down 
in the middle of the thigh and then heads down to the knee and the, and the cutout looks like a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other ones that occasionally I hear people talk about in terms of spiral sort of thigh lifts and, and that's a similar sort of thing where the scar is on a, on a slight sort of spiral to think about vectors of pull and all that sort of stuff. But like we were at ASAPs recently, as you know, and yep. LLV, who you know, pretty much wrote the textbooks on all this sort of stuff, he was talking about how successful his, his career has been just doing verticals most of the time. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of the experience for me is that if a vertical is possible, then it's usually enough and it really helps. Yep. Um, and the T-junction, some people just need the T-junction if they've got excess in certain areas. And some people, we try the vertical and, and don't win. And we have to yep. think about how we, how we just correct those other areas surrounding a crescent. Not common to do just a crescent, but I am aware of some surgeons that will just try and cut out things up the top there and pull things up and they feel that it gives their patients the result they, they need. So there are, so that's, that's another option that some people employ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I really want to know, like, like, I don't know what it is, but you see some belly buttons out there that, that you can tell, a, you know, have, have had a tummy tuck, but I've yet to see one of your belly buttons that's not perfect how do you get a good belly button? <laughs> what what is it that um, is so different? Like I, I just don't get it because you know, like like it's just it's such a thing that the belly yeah. button thing, and and some people can just do them, and and some people, you know, maybe don't do them as great or whatever. I don't know because like I'm looking at a close up one now, one of your before and afters, and even it just looks like a real belly button. Yeah, <laughs> like it it's, looks like um... it's touched. I spent a lot of time on the belly button and I, I think it's important because it is one of those things where I can look at photos um, of people's work and I can tell who's my tummy and who's not based on the, on the belly button. Yep. Um, and it is something that people ask about and I think it's worth investing time and effort into doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the way that I've evolved into doing my belly buttons surprisingly comes from days spent doing pediatric general surgery Um, and so and it will sound bizarre but I was taught by a surgeon in his late 70s um, how to manage um, boys that had problems that needed circumcisions for medical reasons like you know sometimes people have to have them it's not just about aesthetics and um and so I was taught how to do that during my general surgery training and specifically my pediatric time. And, um, and the techniques for that, you can modify to make a belly button shorter um, and you can modify to work out how to sort of get things to sort of sit a certain way. And so it, it sounds a bit gross, but that's sort of, I've, I've applied a similar way to make things shorter and reduce the amount of skin and, all of that and then I think about how the belly button sort of is attached internally and how I need to get the skin to sort of contract down onto it and so there's ways that I attach it in certain positions back onto the abdominal wall so that we create a bit of a a hood in the upper Mm -hmm. part but I like to sort of think of it as a funnel and so trying to get that scar from the cut sort of sitting down and in and making the belly button shorter so it's easier to clean um, there's all those things that I sort of I spend up to about 45 minutes on an average belly button trying to get it shaped correctly yeah right so it, it yeah. does pay off because it's um 
uh, like for me, that's the standout of your, your your tummies is the fact that the belly buttons look so good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do worth like the my belly buttons. I yeah, do. Yeah. It's worth it's worth the effort. Um, and I have some patients who are very public with their bodies mm-hmm. um, through their jobs, and I get to see their belly buttons on. You know, certain social media for like social media things and advertising mm-hmm. campaigns and and it's nice to see that they're confident they're happy with their belly button enough to have it in a in a paid advertising campaign um it just yeah I, I do think that there are things that we can do to make it look as natural as possible and it's, it's worth the effort to do it yeah totally I, I totally agree with you because it's um for me it's the first thing that I look at and um, yeah, I think it makes all the difference for sure. Yeah, well, I, I reckon. Hmm. No, that's awesome. And before we go, can I just ask you about um, scarring? Like, because I know yeah. everybody's scars different. Like, I've, I've um, I have a friend who recently had a, a breast um, reduction. The lady I was talking about, and her scars after like three months are less than mine, which are after you know ten years. Do you know, like, and, I, and I'm like, yeah. what? why is that like you know she's not having any treatment she hadn't had any treatment on her or anything like that but what do you guys do for scars um well scarring scarring is there's two big parts to it which is you know the technical elements of the of the surgical intervention and thinking about how much is cut out and how it's stitched together and trying to remove tension from the wound edge and then how we continue that into the post-operative period to reduce tension and keep the outer aspect as thin as possible through taping and then you know introducing silicon gels and led therapies and all sorts of things down the track steroid mm-hmm. injections if people are starting to have thickening and, and those sorts of things which thankfully aren't common but there's also just genetics and then there's also just time and so coming back to your thing where you're saying hey why is hers so thin and neat three months after surgery versus yours that's 10 years old and and the body does go through changes. Scar tissue is only ever about as 85%, about as strong, 85% of the strength of normal skin. So with time, a scar will stretch more so than the adjacent skin um, because it's just oh. inherently weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where time can undo a really thin, nice scar uh, in some people. And also it's location dependent. So Underneath the breast, you know, depending on the technique with the breast reduction, you know, sometimes the tissue can want to sort of just come down the chest wall and just stretch things out a little bit. And if the scar is going to fatigue anywhere, if if the skin's going to stretch anywhere, it's at the scar point in some people. Um, You know, around joints, scars can stretch because they're under load and they get stretched multiple times a day. So they'll fatigue in that sort of area and widen in that spot. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's elements that are body location dependent, genetics, how you, how you heal as well and how you scar, but then also the technical elements of where the cut is made, how the cut's made, how it's stitched together, what sort of post-operative support, are there complications in terms of bleeds or infections or problems where you know, the scar is irritated. There's quite a lot attached to why someone scars a certain way. Yeah, and and I guess in in all honesty, when I, I've never ever looked after my scars, um, you know, like 
sorry, years ago when I didn't know when I first had my breast reduction, I never looked up to the scars because I've never, you know, I'd never really cared about them. But then I've seen some people that are so anal with the way they look after their scars. I'm just like so impressed because they're, you know, they care about the scars, whereas um, some people don't care so much about the scars, I guess. And and we all have different yeah. skin. Hey, We, we do. And, um, and there's, there's that genetic element. There's medications that some people are on that, that affect the skin thickness. Um, there's also hormonal things where people can have really, really lovely skin and then go through menopause and things just can thin out a little bit. So there's all these changes. Um, there's sun damage attached to that, which can really affect the elasticity of the skin. There's smoking history, which can do the same. So there's, there's a lot of factors attached to it. The only things that we can really control as plastic surgeons um, are all those technical elements, how we do it. Um, is it too loose? Is it too tight? How we support the scars, the activity uh, modifications that people need to think about post-operatively so that things don't get pulled, stretched, separate. Um, yeah, it's, it's and monitoring how it all plays out and, and intervening along the way with certain different therapies if, if things aren't going the way that we ideally want them to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, does, it all just comes down to what's right for that, or oh, sorry, that, that patient, that they're, yeah. um, the way they look after it, the way their skin is, their body, what they eat, the whole lot. It's, it's an individual thing, hey? Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's, there's all of that. Um, I like to think I have a role with how I stitch. I think it plays a role. But yeah. Yeah, there, there's, there's so much more to it, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I know I said that was the last question, but I asked, just want to ask one more thing. If someone, <laughs> if someone was to like like have um, skin removal surgery, like like just say a lower body lift or whatever, what would be the the recovery time? Like, like could they say, right, I can go back to work in two weeks if I've sit at an office and and then I can start doing my exercise in in three months? And like, what what's your general rule? Um, so I always ask about. Uh, what people do for um, uh, hobbies, exercise, and I never inquire as to what someone does as a job, but I will inquire as to whether it's a physical job or if it's more sedentary or office-based. Um, so I, I'll always sort of preface it with that to get an idea of what sort of movements they, they need to consider um, so that we get them back to just normal life in the safest way. If someone is having a lower body lift and you know they're self-employed, they can work from home. I've seen patients in hospital even with their laptops out, um, you know, contributing to the workplace with certain tasks and the like. And, and I think people should focus on recovery and not be working whilst they're in hospital. But the self-employed business owner, uh, you know, doing the doing some of their things, as long as they're not on medications that are affecting their judgment, they they can do that. For a sedentary job, if someone is an office-based worker, uh, I do highlight to them how long they're going to be in hospital for, the medications, how they're going to feel slow and, and they're going to be hanging on to fluid and they're going to need to sort of, you know, be aware that they're not going to be their usual selves for three to four weeks. Um, and as much as they may want to get back to the workplace within two weeks, um, sometimes it can be a bit of a push when you think about, you know, how are they going to get to work? Are they going to be able to drive yet? Which a lot of people don't feel safe doing for at least the first three weeks. 
Um, what are they going to do at work in terms of all the incidental things? And so I do get them to sort of do a bit of a stock take of their workplace to sort of think about their day and how many times they're getting it up and out of their chair and going to meetings and having to pick things up and carry things and all these different elements to their job that may exist that they haven't realised that an office-based job does actually entail. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think two weeks is a bit of a push because of all of those incidental things. Yeah, three mm-hmm. weeks is safer. Um, the really physical jobs, the nurses, the tradies, all of that, I do talk to them about how certain movements and twisting things can not only elicit pain but can also um, result in bleeds and things just through shearing activities. And so I sort of talk to them in the same way about activity restrictions for up to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of what they, they might return to light duties before getting back into full, full active duties again. Um, mm-hmm. some, some people, oh, I've had some, some bricklayers and all sorts of stuff uh, who will really think about being on light duties for anywhere up to 12 weeks with some of the muscle repair requirements for their lower body lifts. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I guess when you think about it, like you spend all that money and all that time, like an extra two weeks in the big scheme of things, like for your recovery, is, is not that big a deal. I, th- I think, you know, you've got to take the time that your body needs to recover. Hey, yeah. To get the best you really, outcome. You really do, and it needs to be put out there right at the start. And thankfully, so many of my patients come to, like I'm in my rooms right now, and, and they will come here having spoken to other people about their journeys, they've read about things on forums, they've, they've, they're educated, and they know that there's a recovery consideration to, to factor into the outcome and, and that it's not something that's, really small, back to work the next week, everything's going to be sweet. This is a small thing to think about. All of them come in saying, I'm ready to do this now. I I know that I need to plan. I know what's involved in the recovery and and let's get this sorted out. So, yeah, it is really important to educate people about the recovery stuff so they just get it done properly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. I'm I'm, I'm all for that because it's up to yeah the patient needs to take over from there eh? you guys can only do so much but if they're not looking after their food and and you know if they're going back to smoking or something like that you know of course you're going to have a different outcome to someone who has yeah. actually followed all the the protocols given to to, to them by you yeah yeah uh, it is true um you know and those those things happen and you know, we manage them we help them through things but um yeah yeah we do equally want things to be as smooth as we can have them yep yep no yeah. that's so true yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's been so good. I always love doing a podcast because I learn so much. Um, you, you know, and I'm yeah, I'm always want, I always want to line up and come and have some surgery, <laughs> get rid of some of that skin. Sure, anytime. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this evening. No worries, Trish. Lovely. And listen, look, if you do want to get in touch with Dr. Matthew Peters, you can check out their Instagram, which is Valley Plastic Surgery, or you can just Google them and give them a call. They're really, really helpful. And the staff are just amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Peters. No worries. Good talking with you. Thank you. Got a burning question for Trish? Message her on Instagram at Transforming Bodies or join the 12,000 plus people in the Facebook group Plastic Surgery Support Forum for Aussie Chicks.